Overpowered Hour on this week's show, a brand new tale from the road with Nick Dimbleby. We talk about the one-ton Land Rover and what did everybody do over Thanksgiving. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at thebarriscollection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thank you to everyone joining us today. I'm the wing-mounted round mirror to Stephen's surround camera system. I'm the craned neck of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online on Facebook, Instagram, at Pangolin 4x4. Let's get started. All right, Ike. So in the news uh, this week, um, there's apparently some uh, there, and, and I was aware of this. This is uh, this is coming to you uh, directly from, uh, from Ike's uh, diligent, diligent and studious uh, inspection of Land Rover News every week, that there was uh, some major controversy about the uh, environmental movement, the green movement, and Land Rover advertising. Well, this is true. Yeah, uh, apparently some people are upset that the um, Land Rover Defender was depicted in uh, in a forest scene with some uh, advertising, you know, sort of uh, touting its uh, ability to, you know, take you out of the urban environment and uh, give you a sense of freedom and these sorts of uh, emotive, you know, copy. And um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think some people were upset about it. They thought that it, it encouraged people to drive in sensitive habitats. Although the, the photo I saw of the advertisement pictures the Land Rover actually on a, a, a road. I can't tell if it's dirt or, or asphalt, but um, certainly on a road. So uh, I don't know that it's, it does have some mud speckles on, on the car. And so mm-hmm. I think that uh, some folks in the environmental movement were um, – trying to get this banned. And I think initially they were somewhat successful. There was like a, maybe an injunction or something. And then a a larger governing body in the UK, I don't know what that would be. Maybe our equivalent of the FCC ruled Mm -hmm. that, uh, yeah, no, there's not an existing rule that prohibits that. So, uh, it can continue, but, uh, I think it's, it's, uh, indicative of a, of a debate that has always, you know, been uh, part of the off-road or four-wheel drive community between, you know, folks who are, yeah. um, you know, uh, careful stewards of the environment or, or crusaders for environmental causes. And then, you know, folks with uh, capable vehicles who want to drive them into remote places. And so I think it's, uh, it, 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 you know, just an extension of that sort of dialogue. But you know, I think, uh, you know, when you hear these sorts of stories, you think, oh, there's there's two groups and they have opposing viewpoints. But I think that there is it's, it's a false dichotomy because I think that yeah. there is a, you know, a centrist uh, group of people who are environmentally responsible and careful and, you know, want to explore these places and can do so responsibly. So I think that's a voice that isn't quite heard enough, you know. What, what yeah, well, and I that? think that. 
you know, there is a certain aspect of, you know, the best way to uh, become uh, passionate about uh, protecting nature is to uh, enjoy said nature. I think if, uh, you know, people uh, sort of stay in cities, stay away from the outdoors, stay away from, uh, you know, adventure and overland travel because it may uh, potentially pose a, a risk to that environment. Uh, I, I think that's kind of moving in the wrong direction. I think until you experience something, it's very difficult to appreciate it. And, you know, I think with the, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, you know, like you said, the the responsible uh, off-roading um, or green laning in the, in the United Kingdom, that you can very effectively uh, get off-road with your car and not uh, totally destroy uh, the environment, not mud buggy through someone's you know, back garden or something. And, and, you know, I, I don't know, I, I agree. And, and probably here in the United States, there are, uh, you know, certainly more offenders when it comes to, you know, spinning tires through, uh, you know, protected, uh, wetlands and things. I'm sure that's happened. Um, cryobiotic soils and whatnot. Yeah. You know, I think that the, I think that both groups need to spend some time with the other group, you know, like, uh, I think that, um, some environmentalists probably need to go on a yep. on an off-road excursion and then some folks in the off-road community need to participate in some, you know, conservation efforts and and that brings up a good point. I think that um a lot of these uh groups who use and uh, are respectful of the outdoors, you know, here in, in the United States we have an organization called Ducks Unlimited. Yep. It's a, a duck hunting organization and mm-hmm. uh, they do tons of fundraising for conservation efforts and uh, mm-hmm. the sale of duck hunting stamps and the sale of, uh, you know, these sorts of uh, uh, fundraisers, they they provide a tremendous amount of funding uh, for conservation efforts in wetlands in huge, huge amounts of, of conservation dollars and uh, even more so than most of the, you know, traditionally conservation-based groups. And so I think that's a, a good... Um, yeah, uh, maybe a roadmap for other groups of, uh, of of outdoor users and enthusiasts to follow. You know, um, that would uh, maybe get them some some respect in the uh, environmentalist community and and help us uh, continue to participate in outdoor activities without. Uh, um, I guess being cast as the bad guy. Huh? Yeah. Well, cause too many trails and things get destroyed and, uh, you know, gates get broken into and all that sort of stuff. Then, you know, the, uh, the park service or whomever's in, you know, in charge of that space is just going to uh, close it down and, and nobody's going to be able to use it anymore, which is a real shame because, uh, you know, seeing, uh, you know, seeing the uh, amazing territory of the United States by overland vehicle is a real privilege. It's, it's a really amazing, you know, sort of, uh, sort of thing that you can do, uh, which is actually a great segue, uh, into a, uh, a new ish segment. Uh, let's just say we're formalizing this segment into uh, something we're calling tales from the road, which, uh, you had a uh, an interesting uh, road trip uh, just very recently. Unfortunately, was not able to uh, come up and uh, join you guys, but uh, I was able to send you our good friend uh, Nick Dimbleby uh, in a uh, in an airtight Pelican case. Uh, shipped him up to uh, to you uh, to enjoy uh, some overland travel. That's true. Yeah, uh, Nick Dimbleby uh, came up to uh, visit us. Uh, you know, a famous Land Rover photographer and automotive journalist, uh, Nick Dimbleby, came. He has up- an amazing uh, body of work. If you haven't. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, no, Nick uh, Nick came up. We um, had been talking about having him come up uh, to visit us here in Oregon and, and see the shop. And, you know, I said, well, you know, Nick, you've already you've already done that. Why don't we uh, organize a little mini adventure, mini excursion? And you can come along with us and uh, see what you think, because we uh, we like to take these old Series one Land Rovers out into the desert and uh, traipse around and, uh, you know, cook in the Dutch oven and, you know, see some uh, really amazing parts of the United States. And uh, I said, well, we could probably organize a, a you know, a short weekend trip uh, down to the Black Rock Desert or Death Valley mm-hmm. or, you know, Three Forks area in Oregon, you know, some relatively remote areas. And uh, you could come along and drive a car or, you know, take photographs or whatever you want to do, just to, you know, check it out. And he was very enthusiastic. So we we got some cars ready to go and we decided that uh, we would do a color themed trip. So we took all yellow. Yeah, you sure did. All yellow series ones, all 57s, uh, 57 yellow uh, soft top 88, a 57 yellow station wagon. Uh, short wheelbase and a uh, 57 pickup truck, yeah. uh, 109 wheelbase pickup truck. Yeah. And the 109 pickup truck had kind of been a long-term project. And this was the, this was the maiden voyage for that car. Um, I had sold a very similar yellow car to my good friend, Steve Francis, who's an epidemiologist in the, uh, yeah. in the Bay area. And uh, so I had kind of kept that a secret from him that I had found another car that was identical to his. And and in the meantime, do you think it's because he would he would want that car? I I don't know. I I thought that uh, I thought that it was just kind of fun uh, coincidence since his car is such a rare car mm-hmm. that I had I had found another one and it was kind of a project so I wasn't really doing a lot with it so I kind of kept it a secret. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Steve's car he has he has removed the engine for an engine rebuild so he couldn't bring it. Mm-hmm. And I told him I would provide him with a car, but I kind of misled him and told him that it was a, I I think I told him it was a dumpster fire of an 88 that I was going to bring him to drive. (laughs) And uh, it it was, it was forecast to be kind of cold. So he said, uh, hopefully it has a roof, I think is what he, (laughs) what he uh, replied. But um, we kind of kept it a secret. And then uh, we all met at uh, Bruno's country club. Oh yeah. Which uh, our, our dear friend, Nick Dimbleby, uh, uh, mistook for a golf club, mm-hmm. which uh, is actually uh, a country music club in yeah. Gerlach, Nevada, where we were meeting. Yeah. And uh, ironically, when we were, Did you guys taking any uh, line dancing uh, while you were there? Did you guys do a little a little toot scoot boogie? You know, unfortunately, there was no line dancing. There wasn't yeah, enough people for a line in in all of Gerlach. Ah. Yeah, they, they didn't have enough folks <laughs> to, have to enough generate to a line of people. Line. Yeah. Too bad. But when we were when we were eating lunch there, we noticed um, one of their photographs that they have on the wall, you know, kind of mm-hmm. historic photographs of the uh, yeah, of yeah. the establishment that a lot of places have. One of the pictures of this place has a Land Rover in the parking oh. lot, like prominently featured in the parking lot from the 80s. So, But a contemporary, contemporary for the photo. Yeah, contemporary for the photo. Yeah, so... Uh, was it new? It was new in the new in the photo? It yeah. wasn't new. It was like a Series 2A 88 station wagon, pastel green. Yeah. And it had like a few bumps and bruises, but it was like, yeah. you know, had been out exploring the Black Rock. So so we had decided, you know, to, to do the, the High Rock Canyon Trail, which is a beautiful, really uh, scenic area. It's about a 20-mile long trail, but the trail to get to that trail is, you know... Um, 
probably 50 miles, 60 mm-hmm. miles, something like mm-hmm. that. It takes uh, mm-hmm. many hours to get there over rough roads and mm-hmm. uh, from Gerlach, which is a tiny town only renowned for its biting gnats. Yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> they like fly in your mouth too. It's really horrible. It's like around the oh, mouth gnats are the worst. And for those of you that don't know, the Black Rock Desert is uh, probably most famous for hosting the Burning Man uh, sort of music and art festival each oh, year. Yeah. And yeah. so it's a the, within the Black Rock Desert is the a, a huge playa where that event is held. And uh, you know, for our European and and English listeners it's it's a vast area you could spend yeah you know months and months exploring it there's trails everywhere and uh it's it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of square miles of terrain um mm-hmm. and it's uh it's it's generally rocky desert arid you know mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. in the canyons there are uh like water crossings like where all the water has pooled. And so we were worried that um, we would run into some deep wading sections, you know, that would be mm-hmm. three to four feet deep. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of a lot for old cars that aren't necessarily prepared for that on stock tires and that sort of thing. So yeah. we were a little concerned about that, but um, the the water was only, you know, maybe 30 inches deep. So it was perfect. So we oh, perfect. cruised through those deep water sections and, um Nick got lots of uh, really cool photos, which I'm excited to see. I got a few uh, really bad photos, which I can. Oh, uh, yeah, I've seen them. They're great. Some great photos of Nick taking great photos. I think is uh, you have a great collection of bad photos of Nick taking great of photos. bad photos of Nick taking good photos. Yeah, I yeah. think that's fair. So yeah. we had um, we had three cars, uh, three series once, and our our friend Brett Gottner showed up in a. Series one discovery. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he came from the Bay Area, and we uh, we teased him a little bit about his car, which was uh, somewhat out of place. But it was a a really nice example of a uh, of a Series one discovery, totally stock. You know, one owner sort of car, tons of service mm-hmm. records that he had just bought, and decided to uh, drag through brushy trails and put pinstripes all down the side. So I commend him for that. Perfect. Was it also yellow? Uh, it wasn't, unfortunately, one of the XD yellow cars. It was it was the white, alpine mm. white, you know, kind of color. And uh, it was completely stock, still had the air dams on it and everything, which I, I think he kind of cracked a little bit doing one of those water crossings because the ice was quite thick on, <laughs> on some of those water crossings. Mm. So the, the temperatures, you know, were about 60 fahrenheit during the day and then like 10 fahrenheit at night so quite a bit below freezing at night and uh we very chilly yeah Yeah. very chilly but uh really spectacular area some um neat uh things to see there lots of uh birds of prey in fact that area is closed part of the year right for uh like the the mating mating season for raptors yeah -hmm. Yeah. and Uh um we also saw lots of carvings this uh, high rock canyon is an area Mm -hmm. which was part of a a wagon road and so it's been in constant use for a couple hundred years and uh, you can still drive down the wagon road and there's still inscriptions on the canyon walls from some of these travelers from the 1860s and and even earlier and then there's also a lot of like uh, indigenous uh, activity if you've ever played the uh, the Oregon Trail uh, video game it's uh, that's where you inscribe uh, which member of your party died of typhoid or how many oxen you lost on a given day 
Yes, yes. I think uh, I think this is where uh, yeah, this is where one of the your party gets bitten by a rattlesnake or um, something like that. But Oregon Trail, classic, classic uh, computer game. Still yeah, love tough, it. Tough, tough going, tough going. The Oregon Trail, a non sequitur. You can order from uh, you can order from Gerber a, uh, a you, you know they customize uh, their uh, their pocket knives and things like that. You can order them with the Oregon Trail uh, oxen and uh, and chuck wagon uh, like late are etched onto the blade of uh, one of their knives if you were if you were so inclined uh, to do so i thought of all the iconography they can include the the original organ trail uh characters that's uh i appreciate that it's a weird it's a weird product tie-in but i like it yeah right yeah you don't get a lot of organ trail sponsorships these days but hey you know Whatever you take, what you can get, I guess. So uh, we also, uh, you know, did some Dutch oven cooking. We wanted to show uh, Nick that uh, we could uh, have something other than backpackers meals on uh, one of our trips. So <laughs> we uh, we did Dutch oven biscuits and gravy, which were uh, Ooh, no, yeah. it wasn't biscuits and gravy, chicken and dumplings. It was uh, oh, pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah, Jenna does a really amazing biscuit. Uh, sorry. Uh, chicken and dumplings in the Dutch oven, and then we had um, pork shoulder uh, with chili Ooh. verde tacos. Nice. It's pretty wow. solid the next day. Yeah, really no problems with the Land Rovers. They performed uh, pretty flawlessly. You know, we d- didn't have to do any winching. Um, put uh, several hundred miles off road on the cars, and no no significant issues. The only issues that we had were uh, with uh, Steve's uh, Ford F three fifty, which decided it didn't want to run at um, uh, like uh, eleven o'clock at night. Uh, yes, with a four hour drive back to Reno, so that Nick could catch his flight. So we had to do some work on his um, his F three fifty, which uh, was the only car that uh, <laughs> provided problems. But the nearly uh, sixty plus year old uh, Land Rovers, uh, no problem, None. no problem. But a, uh, I imagine, relatively modern F three fifty. Yeah, well, that's too bad. Yeah, the, the disco leaked a little coolant. We were a little concerned that it was, uh, you know, uh, it had the uh, head gasket were were acting up you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know for those of you that don't have discoveries they have an electric remote you know and uh, one of the buttons is unlock the doors and another button is like the panic button and then the third button is actually uh, the head gaskets blow if you push that so you got to be real careful yeah, not to lean. It's a, you got it in your pants and you lean against something. And uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the head gaskets wrong in that motor and they blow. So it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things, uh, you know, it's not. Uh, to be fair, it was, like you said, it was 10 degrees Fahrenheit. So that is right in the uh, in the in the danger zone for a, a Discovery 1 overheating. So you've got to be you got to be careful. Any 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 warmer than That's that. True. And, uh, yeah, there's no chance. We tried to keep it out of the sun, but it's tough. It's tough when you're in the desert. Yeah, you know, there's just uh, there's nowhere to hide, nowhere to hide. It's uh, yeah, they're a temperamental, they're a temperamental beast, but uh, fun to have. Well, that's really uh, that sounds like a very cool trip. We're gonna put some of those photos, uh, Ike's photos, and potentially if we can shake them out of Nick, he uh, might be. We'll get yeah. uh, some of Nick's photos up on the Instagram uh, this week uh, as well. Uh, hopefully, you've uh, enjoyed the Instagram of the following week. You know, we had some pictures from Ike at the uh, British uh, Heritage Museum with Buttercup and uh, some of those things. So, um, yeah, stay tuned to the old Instagram. I think Nick might be um, maybe doing an article. We'll see on that trip, you know, not to uh, put too much pressure on him, but uh, suspect that he might be doing that. So hopefully uh, we'll we'll have a magazine article or something that uh, you guys can check out. Strong expectations uh, from Nick on uh, that. He's basically committed. (laughs) 
We're going to take a very quick break to hear from this sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, so, uh, Ike, how was your, uh, how was your Thanksgiving, uh, buddy? What did you, uh, what'd you guys get up to for, uh, Thanksgiving? Well, you know, uh, we do a lot of work on Land Rovers at the Pangolin 4x4 shop and, uh, we're always, uh, driving them and test driving them. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we have a holiday and to take a day off, uh, from the shop, we decided to, uh, drive and work on Land Rovers, uh, as sort of a break from uh, driving and working on Land Rovers. So, um, we did, uh, yeah, makes sense, we, yeah. we did a little, yeah. uh, excursion to, uh, a fire tower on Fairview peak, which, mm-hmm. uh, we decided mm-hmm. would be a great place to have a Thanksgiving meal, which, um, actually turned out to be really nice. It was, um, we, we did not, uh, fully appreciate the weather that we were going to encounter at altitude. We were, ran into, mm. you know, some, some snow, there's quite a bit mm-hmm. of snow and mm-hmm. the, uh, the road to the lookout tower is, uh, is pretty rugged. And, and the combination of the two, uh, provided a little bit of a challenge for the Land Rover. At one point we had to, we had to air down and, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. kick everybody out of the Land Rover. I think we had, um, uh, four people and two dogs in a short wheelbase, uh, Land Rover station wagon yeah. and, yeah. and all of our Thanksgiving sort of food and supplies. And so everybody had to get out. And so the Land Rover could, uh, make it up this, uh, snowy hill. I did see the uh, video of the, uh, of the car screaming up the hill, which is, uh, always, uh, always fun. Yeah. The, we were probably a quarter mile from the lookout tower at that point, And I was driving and not wanting to uh, stop on the hill. So I just left everybody to walk up the rest of the way, but it was cool. Yeah. We, uh, we did some, uh, sections of a trail in the Bohemia, uh, mining district, which is kind oh, of yeah. a, a neat area to explore, a lot of old mining activity and um, some uh, some mines and so forth. Some neat trails, uh, the Noonday Wagon Road and mm-hmm. uh, the Knotts Trail, which is really cool. That's K N O T T. Yeah, like the same people as the Berry Farm. Probably, probably the same. So w- we got to the fire tower. Yeah, the the wind was uh, probably thirty miles an hour. You know, thirty five oh. miles an hour. So pretty gusty and and cold. So uh, it was really nice to get some, uh, yeah. get into the fire tower and have a, a really nice meal overlooking, you know, thousands of acres of wilderness. You could see uh, all the way from the Three Sisters, uh, and on a clear day, you can see Mount Hood on that mm. uh, watchtower. So yeah. all the surrounding mountains, really cool. Lots of lots of snow on there. Really beautiful. It was uh, it was super nice Thanksgiving. Really. Uh, Really enjoyed it. And then on the way back, we uh, did some sections of the Knotts Trail we haven't seen before. We explored some mines. We actually went into some of the mines and saw some of those, like, uh, you know, really uh, uh, kind of interesting cave fauna. You know, oh, yeah. the, uh, yeah. the, the, in this particular one, there was like thousands and thousands of daddy long legs uh, spiders, like oh, yeah. crawling all over the ceiling and falling from the ceiling in knots of hundreds of individuals and like into the, your into your open mouths. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it was really mm-hmm. it was like a mm-hmm. Indiana Jones sort of scene. Okay, and these yeah. like massive crickets that were like six inches long. Oh my god! And bats, of course, and uh, like uh, moth orgies, like just just oh. hundreds of moths just writhing. Yeah, just yeah. you know, pretty interesting, yeah. but also kind of gross. Nothing says Thanksgiving like a moth orgy. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's the dust you got to worry about. It's like Cheeto dust. It gets all over your fingers. Uh, Linus is still in the uh, cave. He was carried off by a group of uh, particularly entrepreneurial daddy long legs. So we're hoping to <laughs> hoping to get him back soon. Well, the good news is it, it maintains a constant 55 degrees in that cave. So oh. I think he should be yeah, fine. Be fine. But, uh, be fine. Just eat we'll some see. daddy long legs we'll every few hours and, and he'll stay nourished enough for us to mount a rescue sometime, hopefully early next week. So uh, Britain's uh, top uh, model uh, this week. Now, this comes from uh, a, a listener yeah. uh, who is uh, who was uh, contacted me about uh, his, uh, his one ton and uh, actually said, oh, geez, you know, I don't think we've talked about uh, the one ton uh, Land Rover. A little bit of an obscure car uh, in that uh, they're not uh, a huge number of them made, um, and they have some fairly unique uh, pieces and parts that are that can sometimes be difficult uh, to uh, to locate, and that they have the uh, 2.6 liter uh, motor uh, in them as well, the six li- uh, six cylinder uh, motor in them as well, which is one of my my personal favorites. Um, so, Ike, what uh, what uh, what makes the uh, Land Rover One Ton such a uh, unique uh, car? Well, you know, Land Rover had been exploring a Dodge Power Wagon style competitor for several years into the early 60s. And uh, we kind of talked about those with the uh, 127-inch pickups, sort of a bigger Land Rover. And I think that they ultimately decided that, you know, we're going to try and incorporate maybe as many um, parts out of current production vehicles into this as we can. And so, you know, like a lot of things, uh, they decided on the Land Rover 1-ton, which was kind of a half measure. It's not quite as big or sturdy as a as the 127-inch pickup truck prototypes were, but it's uh, a little bit bigger and burlier than the standard Land Rover. So the, the frame is is largely the same. It has uh, raised spring hangers to raise the suspension right. and give uh, clearance for larger 916 tires, mm-hmm. which is what the power wagons were using. And then it has some other features, a lower ratio transfer case and a... Um, a lower ratio steering box mm. that sort of uh, help with uh, the 916 tires. And those are really the, the special features along with the wheels, mm-hmm. which were uh, made to be offset to accommodate those, those larger Long tires. tires. So yeah. most of the things are really to accommodate the tires, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, in terms of its, its heavy duty nature, it, uh, you know, Originally, I think they were fitted with the E and V axles mm-hmm. front and rear, mm-hmm. and then later those changed to Salisbury axles, yeah. so they did have sturdier axles. And it's Salisbury both uh, front uh, front Salisbury and rear. Yes, the 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 last models, I think they they didn't use a Salisbury front. They have a Rover, a front, Rover front and a Salisbury like rear. the stage one. Yeah. So um, they had some special parts. Mm-hmm. They had some special parts that made them particular and. And all of the production models are pretty much six cylinders. Some of the really early prototype cars are four cylinders, mm-hmm. most notably the uh, Belgian military prototypes that they made. Um, they made a few for evaluation for those uh, those military contracts that were a four cylinder version. And those cars are really cool. Uh, a friend of mine has one. It's one of these Belgian military prototypes. Came from Phil Bassel yeah. at the Dunsfold Lander Museum. I think they made. I think they made six of those. Yeah, it wasn't very many. And they were soft tops and uh, pickups. And and his particular one has the Land Rover hydraulic winch on it. Really cool. Oh, cool. Really cool truck. Um, 
they've kind of gained a, a, a following, mm-hmm. you know, uh, these, these military and, um, and one ton trucks, they were really sort of, um, designed to be used in commercial capacities. Yeah. So the electricity boards and, uh, these sorts of places, tow trucks mm-hmm. and, and they were used in a lot of these kinds of capacities, some fire trucks like crash tenders mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and so on got this one ton configuration and they lasted into the series three a little bit, mm-hmm. but probably the most, uh, interesting ones are the you know 67 through 72 you know series 2a one-ton cars really neat neat trucks yeah a lot of people um mistake the standard military gs cars for one tons because they have the raised suspension they have some of the features but uh, the one-ton cars do have really have some special interesting things about them and how difficult is uh it to procure one of the different geared steering boxes or transfer cases or those different wheels are they uh you know were they in very short supply or because it was an industrial sort of used car is there a lot of uh, is there a lot of new old stock parts what's the what's the temperament of trying to get pieces for that car some of that stuff is hard, you know. Uh, it's it's p- particular. It was sold in small numbers. Other things are inexplicably, you know, readily available. An example would be the Land Rover One Ton main shaft, of which I have seventy examples of, brand new. Mm. And uh, I don't know what to do with them. There aren't seventy one ton Land Rovers in the United States, or probably even the world, that need those shafts. So, <laughs> Land Rover One Ton. Transmission main shafts are are readily available. Some of the other pieces yeah. are are difficult. Yeah. You know, the wheels were popular mm-hmm. to use on other cars. Mm-hmm. You know, because they have that offset and can accommodate larger tires. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those wheels got taken off of uh, vehicles and used on yeah. other cars. Yeah, moved around, moved around. So those were those were a popular thing. So some of them quite difficult to get others not so much but really neat trucks and the advertising was really cool and is it a regular series steering box it, it is the series two series three steering box uh just with different gearing? basically yeah it, it is very similar to the the regular steering box but it has a a finer worm and nut so there's more turns yeah. of the wheel uh to get the axles to turn okay. um neat Neat trucks and the advertising is really cool. A lot of, uh, you know, sort of industrial applications, cherry pickers and stuff mounted to the back of them. People, you know, loading heavy things into the back of those cars. But they were all kind of, you know, like I said, it's kind of a half measure. Mm -hmm. It's not as, it's still not as sturdy as a power wagon. Mm -hmm. Um, Not as, not as beefy or burly as those cars, but it was definitely a step in the right direction. Bigger you know, more commercial, more industrial yeah. than the standard Land Rover pickup. Well, sport. series Land Rovers are a collection of half measures. Uh, it, uh, you know, Land Rover doesn't like to go all the way to something. <laughs> uh, they like to get, you know, most of the way there and then leave out some important bits. Um, but all the same, using some super proprietary, hard to find bits so that uh, it's a, it's a real hassle to, uh, to restore or maintain one. That's the, that's the Land Rover creed. That's uh, I, I don't know. I think that uh, it's it, in retro, Respect, it's great because they kept the same parts for so long. Yeah. You know, you keep the same engine from 1958 to 1988 or whatever yeah. the, with the two and a quarters, you know, family of engines like that breeds an, a wonderful parts availability. Yeah. Right. So for an enthusiast who wants a classic Land Rover, it's amazing. But for somebody who wanted a modern commercial vehicle at the time, 1976, yeah, pretty mm. disappointing when when the competitors to Land Rover in the 80s have. Yeah, yeah, when they have engines that have double the horsepower and stronger transmissions and, you know, all these sorts of things that the competitors were offering 
pretty frustrating. Yeah. But but now you know it's easy to be like, wow, that's really nice to to have that parts availability in a classic car. It is all right. Well, Ike, there's a few things going on on the old uh, on the old internet. Uh, we uh, ran a Black Friday sale on uh, stickers. Hopefully, everyone uh, had an opportunity to uh, to cash in on uh, on the. Uh, uh, the uh, very inexpensive uh, 20%, 20% off the all remaining stickers, which I have to say, as we always say, the sticker inventory is dangerously low as always, but uh, we've got some new things uh, in the uh, hopper. So uh, not to worry when these special ones sell out, we'll have more for you. So I uh, enjoy that. Maybe we'll do some yellow series one. I heard the worldwide chip shortage is uh, causing a, a sticker shortage, a sticker as, shortage well. as well. Is that yeah, true? that is, that is true. There is a lot of, uh, of capacitors in uh, stickers and, uh, you know, our, our stickers are, uh, you know, just that uh, mark above what you would get from a standard uh, sticker vendor. So, yeah, we're uh, hit with a supply chain uh, shortage. We're also doing a, a Cyber Monday on everything that isn't stickers. So, you know, we want to kind of keep things keep things interesting for people. So uh, today you can uh, head on over to uh, any any of your favorite underpowered houred areas, be it the uh, Shopify store or the website or the everything. It's all the same thing. Uh, so uh, come on over and get yourself some uh, tiny, um, you know, deficiencies books, uh, perhaps uh, some uh, coasters. Ooh, and Ike, we have uh, underpowered hour cufflinks. We've got some. Uh, we got some cufflinks uh, for uh, when you're what? going uh, out uh, for fancy times. We've got little uh, underpowered rover uh, logo uh, uh, cufflinks. Uh, this is all. Uh, this this is all uh, from uh, from the uh, from the laser cutting farm. Uh, we've got uh, some great uh, some great stuff uh, from there. So uh, jump in t-shirts, of course, available. We are going to be doing a special edition t-shirt later on this uh, later on this uh, month of uh, December. Um, and, uh, it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Um, also, I, I don't know if you've noticed, um, I know that you are, uh, uh, frequent, uh, you know, frequenter of the old YouTube, but, uh, the underpowered hour is, uh, is now publishing, uh, our video episodes. So you'll be able to get this episode on YouTube, um, and uh, see what we look like. I'm I'm remote today in Palm Springs, so I have a, a gorgeous uh, elephant interpretive art thing behind me, uh, and uh, everybody can uh, tune in and enjoy that. One month, uh, one month after the uh, the show has uh, has come out, uh, the audio version, or if you just can't wait, and I I know you're impatient. Uh, if you just can't wait, uh, you can become a Patreon uh, supporter. You get those video episodes the same day, the same day you get the audio episode. You don't have to wait at all. You, you don't even have to listen to the audio. You can just watch the video. There are people who just watch video podcasts. It's a thing, apparently. I mean, you know, you don't have to just watch it, uh, you know, listen to it in your car. Maybe you want to watch it in your car. You don't actually want to listen to the audio. You just want to watch. Uh, you just want to watch the video. You don't want to hear what we're saying. Uh, you just want to see us. Uh, you just want to see us in in your in your vehicle on your iPhone on an iPad. You have screwed to the uh, the dash of your car. It's all fine. I don't care. I'm not judging. You know, whatever. <laughs> and then finally, finally, I can. I know this is this is something that you are particularly uh, interested in. Uh, there is a, a Camel Trophy winning, winning Camel Trophy winning won the Camel Trophy in 1990. Um, Land Rover Discovery, uh, that is uh, the two-door Discovery, which is really cool. The only year they did that. Uh, that is up on the uh, Bring a Trailer as we speak. 
there's six minutes left and it's up to $61,000. Do you want to, you want to throw an idea, Ike? What do you think that, uh, what do you think that car is going to go for? And, uh, we can find out next week uh, how, uh, how close we were. I'm going to say, I'm going to throw out a number. I'm going to say $85,000. That's what I'm going to say for this car. That's, uh, that's I'm a guess. Going- I'm going 72. I'm going to go a little conservative on little, this. Little uh, conservative, yeah. Maybe people are busy with holiday stuff. I don't really know. Right. But I'm going to go I'm going to go 72 just cuz. 72. I like it. So uh, I'll take 85. So I take 72 closest without going over. I'm going to do prices right rules. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, yeah, we'll let you know on the next it. we'll let you know on the next uh, exciting episode of the Underpowered Hour. How much did that uh, did that Camel Trophy get to 90 some odd thousand dollars like the one on Cars and Bids did and uh, if you have a a, a Camel Trophy winning Camel Trophy, this will tell you is it better to sell it on Cars and Bids or on Bring a Trailer? The ultimate question, which I'm sure every one has uh, been asking themselves, where is the better place to sell your Camel Trophy discovery? Uh, is it better to sell it on uh, Cars and Bids or bring a trailer? Soon, soon, in the next uh, five minutes, we will know the answer. It's up to six, $66,666. I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Oh, no. I don't think it's it's going it's going quick here. So we'll see, Ike. But Ike, as always, it has been uh, a supreme pleasure uh, hanging out with you again uh, this week. And uh, we've got, oh, man, do we have some exciting guests coming up surprise, uh, exciting, insightful, uh, intelligent, uh, and uh, just all around charming guests uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. So uh, do stay tuned for those. I'm not going to tell you who they are because uh, it's uh, more excited to be surprised. You know, you can just wait. Don't ruin Christmas. It's going to be great. So tune in for those. They're going to be, be good. real good. They're going to be good. All right. Well, it looks like we once again ran out of time for uh, Ike's review of Nando's, but we'll make sure to get to that uh, next week for sure. I'm looking forward to it. So, Ike, it's been another great episode, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Take care, Steve. Powered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Pavel Svartov composed and performed our theme music. Consider supporting the show on Patreon, and if you already do, thank you. Your support makes the show possible. For even more, check out our Instagram or Facebook.